Welcome back to the Jokerman Springtime in New York Spectacular with special guest Stephen Hyden. Today, the thrilling conclusion to what turned out to be a three-hour recording session about this miraculous box set. Just before we get started, we would like to extend a warm and heartfelt thanks to Pitchfork.com for refusing to review Springtime in New York, thereby making this three-hour-long triptych of podcasts the definitive review of the box set online. Without any further delay, here we go again. On that on that note, I do think that like so I, I mentioned earlier, like uh, I think like Stephen, you mentioned in your ideal version of infidels, uh, take off a couple songs and then throw on Foot of Pride, throw on uh, Lord Protect My Child and Willie McTell. My ideal uh, version of infidels is there's a whole disc that is these fucked up kind of like uh, apocalyptic, really pessimistic, kind of nihilistic, sour sour flavored songs. Uh, that that were that he was writing it in infidels like there are he was he was writing these spiritual really touching loving kind of songs there's a whole disc of material there Joker man sweetheart like you I and I don't fall apart on me too late angel flying too close close to the ground someone's I got a hold of my heart sweet and song Lord you? protect my child loving or spiritual kind of songs there and then there's a whole other version of infidels a whole other second disc that's just these really kind of like like ugly kind of squinting like just like um a rotten view of humanity songs between license to kill man of peace union sundown neighborhood bully foot of pride julius and ethel clean cut kid and death is not the end like that i th- i think it's a double lp like uh, my death is version, not the end death is not the end is a beautiful spiritual song what are you, what are you talking, talking about? about when when uh, death is not the end yeah the- I, I always feel like that that's a song about like you know eternal life i mean yeah, what are you talking about? Saying death is not the end when, is a, is a, what's the, is, is a uh, nihilistic hang on, song. Hang on, let me it's the opposite. Let me pull up the line. Um, uh, when you're sat, uh, uh, when you all, when all that you've held sacred falls down and does not mend, when the cities are on fire with the burning flesh sure. of men, and you sure, search but in he's vain saying to find it. just one law-abiding citizen. I understand what he's saying, but there, there's a really ugly kind of view of the world in death is not the end. Yeah, but I guess so. Uh, I mean, it is weird that Death is Not the End doesn't make it onto Infidels because it probably should have. And the, it's yeah, such a great, it's such a natural album closing song. Exactly. And the and seven then, minute extended version that's on here is so and Death is Not and, the and, End. And he throws it on Down in the Groove. Down on the Groove. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Down on the Groove. Down in the Groove, rather. It, yeah, it doesn't, it really should have been the close. Like, I don't, I guess part of why I, um, why we historically have not given infidels like our top marks of three stars, uh, far from it. It's like, why does that record close with, uh, I mean, as good as, as, uh, don't fall apart of me tonight is it's like on a record that touches on that opens with Joker, man, about like, seriously, like it, like heaven and hell colliding type of stakes. Why? Why are you closing with like? I don't think that I could handle it well, I if mean, you were sad. It's I think. Like, it, I think it just speaks to his conflicting. Death uh, is not the end. That's the closer for that I, record. I, I yeah. think it, it just speaks to his conflicting impulses at this time. Like where, on one level, um, I think he was trying to compete with like Springsteen and like you're, the other yeah, Herman totally Rockers. Right. He does want a but tight then, forty minute record. But then he didn't want. But then he didn't want to be too much like them, you know. And, and he and he couldn't quite reconcile that. He got enough criticism for being outwardly religious and spiritual in the way that he felt was like really immediate to him. That he probably did feel like, well, I can't close with something like "Death is not the end." Yeah, as we've seen in That's some like, of the quotes, like he, it, it, do, it definitely seems like the negative reaction to "Shot of Love," like actually, like really had an effect on him. Like he, he really Which, kind of felt bad about people shitting on that record and, in large part because of this, this uh, extended um, Christian uh, kind of influence there that it, still was obviously much less than on the previous records, but was still more present than it was on Infidels going forward. Yeah, a shot of love, a record that ended with every grain of sand, like such a hard hitting, emotional, spiritual song. Well, and and Dylan talked for years afterward about how he felt that like shot of love was a underappreciated <laughs> yeah, record. Was, absolutely, and, was good. And, and, he said to Bono that I like shot. <laughs> and of love. 
and I think I, and I think that's a great record. And I think Infidels again, as it was released, even in its compromised form, was a great record. I, I mean, I think on some level he might have felt discouraged by how his records were just received at this time. That totally people weren't even saying like, well, you know, this. I mean, if people had said about Shot of Love, for instance, that uh, this is a good record, but it could have been great maybe he would have felt a little bit better but people were just disparaging it vicious they, yeah that rolling they, stone review that uh, we posted you know, a couple of months ago like is just an absolute takedown yeah they're like, calling it like an awful record and you know like like his worst album ever made like the yeah. worst dylan record ever which i think is uh totally unfair or although i don't know maybe at that point it was the worst dylan record point, but, yeah but it was still a great record you know uh, in i mean dylan I, I remember there was some dylan interview where he said that and this was like later on but he said don't compare me to myself compare me to other records that are being released at the same yeah, time yeah and uh you know i so it, it just makes you think like well even if he had put it out in infidels like this version that you're talking about like a double record like with all these songs that we love that weren't on the original album maybe people just thought that was self-indulgent or that yeah, he no, was you're like, totally right you know wagging his finger at people like cheer up this is the time of duran duran like right. why are you so yeah so that's why he negative. has to do don't fall apart on me tonight a song that sounds like uh maybe the first side closer but it ends up being like the closer of the, the whole thing of like yeah. yeah instead of death when you got death is not the end in the chamber it's like doesn't that just make more sense like starting with joker man ending with death is not the end that's a fucking record yeah and even where death is not the end ends up i think it's like the fourth song on down on the groove or down in the groove yeah just like, it's not like, even not like, even the, not even the if the last song on the first side of the record it's man it's a shame but i i mean i i think you're totally right steven and i think that's like sort of the main like obviously we still have more to talk about here and we're over two hours already but uh if there is a main takeaway or a major takeaway here it's like you know for so long i think it bob's career has been looked at as this like you know you know absolute hot shot uh, in the early days then blood on the tracks maybe the best record he ever put out and then it was a 20 year empty period until dan land came back in 97 and brought him back with time out of mind and i think rather than Bob having been in the wilderness and been, you know, not operating at the peak of his powers while the culture moved on around him. I think Bob was always, Bob was Bob all the way throughout the time. And just the the world that was receiving him and commenting upon him went into and out of tune with him, regardless of his own quality of work. And I think that's exactly what we see at the end of the day. And what happened in that period, I think it's possible to make the case that it's the only period where Dylan actually bought into the criticism and felt like, oh, like maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I think yeah, exactly. And his his confidence wavered, and the co- the quality of the records wavered because he didn't believe in himself as much. Which you see more. At least that's on, what like, it seems like. Loaded and moving moving forward from there, but I mean, I think these records are still as you know, uh, whatever we we've said it. And you know, as, good as, as good are, as they are, no, but they're still other. so good. And and right. the fact that they they just could have been a lot stronger. They were compromised, and if there's a time to get a. Uh, uh, upset about dylan's actual output like if you're a scholar of his work i i think it's probably this period because it seems like the only period where he actually gave a shit about what other people thought right. and he's someone who never should do that well and, and he he then learned this is like a brief period relative to his whole career and uh he hasn't made that mistake again yeah I just don't think it can be overstated, like how confusing of a period this was for so many people right. of Dylan's generation, because they had no roadmap for how to uh, progress at, at, at this moment of their career, and 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 the audience had no roadmap really for to understand. I mean, you know, the thing about Dylan, it wasn't really until he made you know Oh Mercy that that you know, the, the first land law record that critics caught up with him. And it was really Dylan sounding sort of consciously retro right? at that point. And, and then again, you have time out of mind where it really extends that even further. And I think that in a way Dylan got punished because he reminded 
his original fans of like how old they were at this point. Oh, because, yeah, because, that's a good way to put it. Because he was like trying to sound contemporary, but it didn't, mm. you know, and he wasn't didn't really, yeah. And even he was writing great songs, but like, I production think, wise, I, yeah, I think his audience wanted to feel as young as like highway 61 made them. Right. They, they wanted something timeless and, and they weren't that age anymore. And he wasn't that age anymore. So and what you're saying is it's all the boomers fault once yeah. again. Well, the boomer, it, the boomer audience and their looming more sense of mortality. They're punishing Bob for well, reminding them of that. I mean, in defense of the boomers, I think it's easier for us to go back 40 years after the fact and appreciate because I, 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 I mean I wrote about this and if I can make a plug in my book Twilight of the Gods Please. great book uh, uh, that listening to a catalog in real time you know as records come out is different than going back and hearing a, a discography as a piece yeah right that like you know if you were alive when Blonde on Blonde came out and then you heard infidels the day it came out and you had that blonde on blonde experience in the same way it'd be like people of our generation hearing the new weezer record versus like the blue album or something you know i mean just look at how much we've changed in our own opinions even going through it for without like you know being able to like binge watch it basically in the parlance of our times you know or appreciating like that this was like a part this was a chapter in a career that would lead to this. And it was preceded by this. Like, they, yeah, even, like they didn't even have knowing that we, we've had a, a lot of changes of opinion on record on records that first we didn't even like, and so let alone having experienced it in real time, it's sort of a there before the grace of uh, uh, the, uh, you know, don't throw stones in glass houses, et cetera. Yeah. Like I, I, I feel a little bit like, I can't in good conscience say that like the people who booed Bob Dylan, you know, maybe they like a month later realized like that was stupid of me. Right. Yeah. They didn't have a context for it. And it's easier for us to say like, well, obviously this is not as bad as people thought. Right. At the time. So, you know, I try to have some context for that. Yeah. That makes sense. For those people that, you know, like a song like Joker Man is not going to hit in the same way that like like a Rolling Stone did. Sure. You know, it, it uh, and maybe you hear Joker Man once. Like if you're like a person that grew up with like a Rolling Stone, maybe you hear Joker Man once and you're like, I don't really, this doesn't really have the same, you know, sort of primal hit right so i'm, I'm not yeah. i'm, I'm not going to return to but this. also the the world itself and culture became less decipherable and it keeps getting less and less decipherable and like when like rolling stone came out that's like a song that uses the metaphor of like being a society a social butterfly and then you know plummeting to the depths of obscurity it's like a pretty clear message a pretty clear and especially at the time of the mid 60s something that was like in the zeitgeist, like people knew about these people who moved to New York, become popular and then just get out. Like something goes wrong. And so it was like really powerful as a symbol, as a metaphor. Suddenly like you're in the eighties and it's like culture just starts getting more and more crowded, more and more complicated. And we find ourselves here in 2021. It's like, that never the, stopped. The, the culture just is not keep crowded getting or more complicated and, today. Well, and also, no, no, things just keep getting more crowded, <laughs> more complicated. So it's like it's actually harder as a songwriter in some ways to make a song that just is able to like capture a clear, simple, metaphorical message that's connected to the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. But even in like in 1983, and here we are in 2021, but we're listening to Joker Man now, and we still don't really know what that song means. Exactly. And And, and really, I think that's why we love it because it it doesn't have like in a way like i love like a rolling stone but like that is a song that i don't return to as much as joker man well, joker, that's joker that's man I'm, I'm still trying to figure that song out but that's kind of what on. i well, if, yeah. if there's anything i'm trying to get to there it's about how joker man is a song that is fearlessly ambitious it's a song that despite the confusion that would begin and just continue to pile up on itself in the 80s in the 90s and the 2000s and now where we find ourselves it's a song that 
attempts to like say something about reality, uh, which is just a crazy thing to actually just straight up try to do as an artist. That and the sound of Joker Man, the lyrics of Joker Man, is the sound of a song that is um, just deciding I'm going to go for it. I'm going to try to parse everything. I'm going to just I'm going to try to make the song that goes for the finish line. Right. And that's what makes it continually exciting. Still something we talk about and uh, a great song just overall. Can I just say like, cause we've already talked for a long time. <laughs> we got to get into like the last part of this box. Set, cause, like, yeah, we have, Cause we haven't talked about new Danville girl. No, yet, we haven't. Which I feel no, like no. is like one of the crown jewels of this. We box haven't even, set. and we haven't even talked about this emp- whole empire burlesque. Yeah. We section. got, we got uh, into yeah. empire burlesque in one and in Danville will absolutely be the, the, uh, the Good. main star of the show there. Uh, before we get to the final part, the empire burlesque sessions, I do, we do just need to briefly note the couple live tracks on here. Enough is enough live from slain castle. Everyone's favorite uh, destination of Bob's, and then License to Kill live on Letterman. We don't have the Letterman cut of Joker Man. That's maybe like if I have one single song that should be on this set, it's it's the Joker Man theme song. Which that's, that's is, Jeff Rosen trolling this podcast. I think it honestly really might be. I, we we did talk about this, and I, and I, if there's an actual reason, I think it might be because of the harmonica fuck up on that, and they just decided it's, they, it's absolutely because of that. You know, they just couldn't they couldn't bear to to release that it, to to the well, world. Well, it's because it works it works visually because it's dramatic and it's a fun visual. Right. Uh, yeah, but if you just that hear it, well, and Bob but, fans demand perfection. In performance and right. sonic quality, yeah, I think yeah, that's right. been proven. Yes, that's that's a very common trait amongst all the bobcats out there. We started to touch on this earlier, and then we didn't really get there. I wanted to sort of mention that, like this record. Um, I mean, I keep saying record. This collection, it it does bring up questions about, like, well, what does the Bob Dylan organization, was Jeff Rosen, Bob himself, etc., what are their expectations about? who is listening to this and what, what do the listeners want? And to some degree, it seems like, you know, they maybe to our taste, which is, you know, at the fringes of most people, but like, but like people buying this box set, they have to be on the, fr- like who, who on the, who, what casual fan is buying this box set? Exactly. Yeah. And so to some de- degree, it's like, why not just do it like a completely exhaustive, like give us, every last single morsel. And I think that they made choices to not do that. Even on the deluxe third man edition, it's like there are things that aren't covered and they probably, I mean, there's only so much you can fit on a record, but like give us five records. I mean, I assume, Six. I assume it's, um, well, if you buy all of the record sets, but it's, which is it I, five? I have done. Yeah. The third, it's six. The third man set is a right, four give disc us seven, set then. and the, the other 11 tracks are a two disc set. So I have six actual vinyl records that comprise this entire set, which is the same I, I, number of songs as the five which, disc by the way, set. Why are you guys buying vinyl records? Like how old are you? You have no vinyl Oh, first-hand Ian, knowledge. I, look, hey, Ian, Ian, Ian lives in San Francisco. No, 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 no. My dad, my I, this I, I get all from my dad. He was uh, uh, he was a record collector freak, which is where the, I get a lot of this the from. The vinyl thing, oh, man. I don't have that. I mean, I, I did buy them. literally episode. went and spent $100 on Bing Crosby records today, Evan, so don't, don't you act like you're somehow better. Like, uh, <laughs> I, went, I went into a record store, Generation Records on Thompson Street, to escape the rain and left having spent a hundred dollars to the point where i got the free tote bag ridiculous uh, hey, well, i got a lot of stuff but i i'm not the I, type to i buy to, cds i'm not an obsessive i wish they put if i put on a cassette version of this i would have bought it that would be great um i i i i bought the cassette version of biograph and of the original bootleg series damn how many how many sets is the original bootleg that's got to be like five cassettes it's just three cassettes. It's just three. Just you get. Oh, I guess vinyl. That's true. Vinyl. You you get all this uh, extra. Hoo-ha. You got to get up and down and up and down. You got to flip the cassette, record. Cassette CD much more efficient. You get some. Man. You get. You get it's some very liturgical. You got to. You got to get up and. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, oh, it's, it's ritualistic. Oh, oh, oh. 
You're doing the Halo chant there, Evan. Exactly. <laughs> the Halo theme is playing while you get up and play. Uh, the, it's flip the record. But I want to just point out that this, despite any misgivings we might have about how it doesn't have ten versions of Joker Man, it's a really well put together collection. You get these wonderful images of uh, photos that, like, when you search online, you only get like a shitty, grainy, uh, digital grain version yeah, of like a 360 uh, some of these by photos. 248 resolution. And and so it's a really well put together and thoughtfully curated set. And as much as we might have issues about certain aspects of it, it's really well done. And so much love and passion goes into making oh, yeah, it. So fantastic. I just want to shout out Jeff Rosen and the Bob Dylan uh, organization. Thank you for for everything you do. Thank you for your service. Is, yeah, I mean, I don't think it wonderful. can be like overstated, like how unlikely it would have seemed even like five years ago that they put out a box set of outtakes from like the early eighties. Right. Like that yeah. is like a pretty <laughs> esoteric period. I like to think in some, in my secret heart that somebody in the Bob Dylan organization noticed that there was a Joker man themed podcast <laughs> well, and was like, you know what? Maybe we could do a collection of I that. I think they're signaling I mean, to us with all the slain imagery, right, to be honest. I think they're signaling to us by making a fucking box set of this period. <laughs> and I mean, I think, you know, you have this box set, you have the gospel period box set. Yep. You have obviously the, the 69 to 71 bootleg series, which I think, I think like this box set will eventually have like that 69 to 71, I think is genuinely um, paradigm shifting in terms of like how people think of that period, because exactly, we heard exactly. all those outtakes and it's somewhere like, wow, between uh, I, somewhere between Dylan getting honored by Obama and Dylan getting the fucking Nobel prize for literature. They're probably like, we can put out whatever we want. People care. But like, you know, how many of artists of his generation are you like, well, let's just, celebrate his 60s stuff that we all know and love right you know like the great thing about these bootleg series box sets is that it has highlighted periods of his career that have been previously maligned and made them look like pretty great recontextualize like, them made, and change your minds exactly and, that's and, exactly what we were saying on the episode we just did about another self-portrait yeah and you know even if there's people like us who already were feeling sympathetic to this i mean i know for me like i already loved Shot of Love and Infidels and even Empire Burlesque, but this box set deepened my appreciation of that, you know, even with all the bootlegs I have and the stuff you hear on the bootleg series, the original one volumes one through three. Sure. Um, even if there's versions on this box set that I I, you know, I prefer the ones that I've already heard. I still liked hearing these versions. It's still good and, to hear the new exactly. Yeah. And I I, you know, it it there was definitely nothing on here that made me like it less. I mean, it all right. deepened my appreciation. So, I mean, I think it's worth taking the longer view and uh, acknowledging that like, wow, like for a lot of people, this is still a very sort of, uh, you know, verboten era of Dylan. Right. So that they would uh, bother to highlight it. I love it. And, you know, I mean, I remember reading that Michael Gilmore piece that was in rolling stone i think where he's hanging out with dylan in the mid 80s and he was and gilmore writes about hearing all these great like sort of bluesy songs that dylan was recording at that time which i think some of that maybe ended up on this box set but i wonder like maybe those are great late 80s box set because the late 80s now seems like that's Maybe the like, real verboten period. <laughs> that's like the last sort of Twilight Zone. Yeah, beyond the event horizon. The uh, Well, maybe this is a good bridge for us to talk about uh, New Danville Girl. Yeah, let's let's get because, there. Let's, because Brown, let's go into Empire Burlesque. Let's honk on, on the Bobo and uh, go into the next section here. And mercifully, the last section, because I'm on the West Coast, but you guys aren't, so it's getting late. Uh, it's... I, Almost midnight. <laughs> like, I just want to say, like, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the, I mean, because I think, like, on this, again, it's the fifth disc for me. I don't know what LP that is for uh, LP fans. The, out there, the, but... the LP thing is all weird. Yeah, we're going off the CD five disc track uh, track listing. But I think New Danville Girl is obviously the cornerstone of the fifth disc. And right. I just have to say, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but like, Brownsville Girl was always a song that I felt like was a bit of a mystery to me because I would, you know, people would talk about that being one of the great Dylan songs of the eighties and it never quite 
connected with me in the way that it did with other Dylan fans. Right. New Danville Girl, I think, did connect with me. Does it for you? And I think it's I, I think it's clearly. I superior. feel the same way, Stephen, wow. and and I, I I feel the same way. Ian does not, but I actually when I first heard that, I was like, I even tweeted it from the Jokerman account on Twitter, like. I think this might be better than uh, than Brownsville Girl. It's and absolutely I, better. I stand in my by opinion. it because why, why, I think why it, is it better? You, what what what's what do you get here that you don't get out of Brownsville? Well, I think well, it's that, so much more. It's so like single mindedly dedicated to the concept of that song, where he was like he's so fearlessly and um, like stridently committed to just making a song about how he loves seeing Gregory Peck in movies. And, and and the fact that there's not all of that uh, extra as as charming and as fun as as that uh, sort of mariachi styling that he gives new, uh, Brownsville girl is the, the new Danville girl is just like the purest expression of that song and what it is. Yeah, and uh, is this a matter I think of you like, feel the same way, Stephen? Yeah, is this a matter of the, like not being as much reverb? Right. <laughs> New Danville girl. You could just, just hear it better. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like the lyrics come through clearer. I think it's like a more um yeah, there's just so much more clarity performance. I I said that on on Twitter I I was just real time listening to it for the first few times. I said that it's it's really amazing to hear this song treated with like a bit more confidence. Where it's like, I understand why he felt like, okay, I'm going to throw a bunch of reverb on. I'm going to throw these horns on. And uh, that's fun. But it's actually more rewarding to hear it just treated like a song where the lyrics are important. And that actually is what pushed it across for me as being like the I, better version. I do I do agree with you there. I, I, I still love the, the original Knocked Out Loaded take. Uh, but I, I do think that the the Danville uh, uh, version is more like emotionally resonant I think it, it's a more serious kind of approach to the song Brownsville girl to me is like an inherently kind of ridiculous song the the lyric is ridiculous the length is ridiculous the sound is ridiculous those horns are ridiculous and I love all that about it but it's not a song that kind of um, has a whole lot of, um, you know, kind of uh, gravitas or, or pathos to it, I think. And this version, uh, I think, has highlighted that aspect of it uh, to me much more. And this kind of analogy or metaphor that Bob draws between this Gregory Peck character in the film and himself. He, there's that line, uh, if there's an original thought uh, out there somewhere, I could use it right now. Like he, he's, he, it almost feels like he's really kind of like self-referentially writing about his own inability to kind of write and keep up with the times at this moment. And so I, I think there's a, a, a deeper kind of um, a, a sense of understanding that you get out of this version of the song. I still like, if I'm going to listen to a version of the song, I just like the original one better because it's more fun to me. But this one actually definitely has a more um, kind of, um, it, it, it broadens it. it. It pushes it into three dimensions, I, I, so to well, speak. Well, we, we talked about how uh, earlier that uh, Lenny Bruce, I mean, I think that Lenny Bruce is kind of a similar feel. Even Death is Not the End, I'm reminded of a little bit. Like, these are songs where Dylan... Um, in a rare turn, like actually is vulnerable and presents himself as somebody who appreciates art that isn't his own and does it in a way that is in his own music, like talking about somebody else's work. Even uh, went to see the gypsy as was something we just talked about on um, uh, another self portrait, another song where you get that rare mode of Dylan kind of acknowledging like uh, someone who's above him, as an artist, you know, Elvis in that case, like he's kind of reverently waxing poetic about somebody who he respects and admires. And especially on new Danville girl, I mean, it's Gregory Peck just being in movies and it has that lyric where it's like, all I remember is that Gregory Peck was in it and he was in it in the movie. Yeah. It starred Gregory uh, Peck and he was in it. Yeah. It starred Gregory Peck (laughs) and he was in it. And uh, there's something that uh, I respect a lot more about in New Danville for, than in Brownsville Girl, that he seems to really lean into that mode of being a, uh, a fan of things. Really interested in Gregory Peck. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. That he's he's not above things. He's actually also um, somebody who's affected by art. Yeah, I, I, when I listened to New Danville Girl, I kind of felt like this. I feel like this when I listened to Brownsville Girl, but more Danville Girl. It reminded me of like Highlands from Time Out of Mind. Time Out of Mind, sure. Which song I love, and another really long song where you feel like it's just Bob on almost like a stream of consciousness type journey. And it, it's uh, it's funny in a lot of parts, and it's also it's like a journey that you're on with him. Yeah, it's sort of and a shaggy it, dog kind of tale. Like, yeah. the, like the length and lack of focus is part of the, the experience in the first Absolutely. place. And I yeah, think, and it's something that would especially upset the British audience who don't, <laughs> I feel like they don't want to see Dylan be someone who appreciates other art because he's supposed to be the godlike genius who is untouchable and doesn't have any peers. And they also know? don't want to, to see them, him have fun. And that's no, absolutely to, what he's doing on Dan. Yeah. To them, he's, he's William Blake. He's like, he's, he's like, he's somebody who is in his own category. He's Baudelaire. He's, he's like, uh, not somebody who has influences, but in these songs, in, in like Lenny Bruce and, in Danville and Brownsville, he's somebody who is, uh, Saying, you know, I I really like I admire these. He's other literally someone standing in line outside a movie theater. Well, <laughs> that line, especially in New Danville, is like so powerful in a way where he says, "I don't care. I'll see him in anything, and I'll stand in line." Right. And to him, that seems like the biggest leap he could ever make is saying, "I I Bob Dylan, I will stand in line with the with the fucking shit kicker." Well, and also, you know, like. Dylan as a filmmaker. I mean, Dylan obviously tried to make a film with Ronaldo and Clara, but like his most successful films are the films that he makes in these long songs. Like right. Where, you know, he, it's like with, with Ronaldo and Clara, he was trying to make a film like New Danville. Girl, like a song it, like New, right. Where it just sort mean. of, where it's, it's almost like, I mean, really like, ahead of its time in a where, way. Well, it's like Richard Linkletter, I think ultimately it achieved like what dylan was trying to do like with slacker you know like where it was sure. like you're with one character for five minutes and then that character meets another character and then you go with that character and then right. you're with them and that's like what dylan was trying to do in sort of like a literal sense in a film but then he was actually able to do it in a song and really or, th- or for that matter what uh, harmony corinne did with the beach bum yeah or, oh, or with gummo maybe more with, with gummo but the fact that he makes it sound more direct like this is a more direct version of that with his vocal sure where it does almost sound like more like a mid-80s tom petty song but it's dylan talking you know over that i really like that and i feel like i knocked out loaded the production is so muddled that it just detracts from the power Right. Not, and not also to mention that the, the other songs on, on Knocked yeah, Outloaded just, don't really set you up for like a deep experience with that song. Yeah, it, it's just a, it's a silly song on Knocked Outloaded. And, and I really love that about it because, you know, I, I think that uh, Bob is, is often at his best when he's in his silly mode, his wiggle mode, his straw hat. Yeah, mode. But, but 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 this song kind of there's Dan, new there's something girl deeper gives to you the song. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. Yeah, what I it said. gives and you I'm a version where the song is serious version of this song. You know, I think I think. I think this is a big enough song, an important enough song in his discography to have these multiple versions I mean, and these multiple identities attached to it. It is interesting on this disc because you do see songs that you feel like Bob didn't quite nail, and, right? but you still love them anyway. Like New Danville Girl being a song like that, When the Night Comes Falling Out of the, from the Sky is another one that two, you feel like... Two more versions two on more top versions, of the extra version that which, we had on the first bootleg and the obviously original album cut. Like we've gotten a ton of Night Comes Falling from the Sky and, on these alternate releases. And I feel like... And Emotionally Yours as well, a song which is like so done so, so beautifully and straightforwardly here, but also comes across a little bit like schlocky on the, on the actual album. Am I wrong that he did a version like with some of the E Street band is that on the bootleg? That's night. That's night on comes bootleg. Falling. Yeah, that's yeah. on bootleg one. Exactly. That's the second to last song on that whole set that leads right into Series of Dreams, and it really does sound like a Springsteen song. Yeah, which again, I feel like he probably shout also, out little Steven. He he balked on mm-hmm. because it sounded too much like Bruce. But like, damn, it was great hearing Bob 
in that mode. I mean, I right, think Bob that, do Bruce. That is still and, and like and Bruce couldn't have written that song. And I love Bruce, but like he couldn't have written that song. No, of course not. And and he got something out of those musicians, Bob did that that Bruce couldn't. And I still feel like that version is so powerful. Um, you know what I'm I'm upset that we didn't get is uh, if I'm going to be that type of guy right now. Why don't we have another version of uh, something's burning, baby? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a good one, and seems like the, maybe, it could have been. Maybe it's because the the we, original we, version. We is, probably is don't quite need good. two versions of Clean Cut Kid on this record, especially this yeah. alternate Empire Ballistic, which really doesn't sound that much different from the original Empire Ballistic, Here. and is still maybe like the worst song on this entire set. He ate Burger Kings. He was well fed. He ate Burger Kings. 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 Can I pose a question to you uh, both? Do you feel that, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about Infidels. We talked a a bit about Shot of Love. Do you feel that this section of the record uh, changes your opinion on Empire Burlesque? Or what what, what, uh, insight does it give you into the character and the place that Empire Burlesque has in the discography as a record? I don't know. I mean, I've come around to Empire Burlesque, enjoying it as, um, again, like, I, I mean, I think one of Bob's strengths at this time was that he actually was really good at writing melodies, right? That, which is always one of the most underrated aspects of what Dylan does, just his ability to write good hooks. I don't think he gets a lot of credit for that. I mean, really, once you get into the 90s, I feel like that melodic sense really starts to... Uh, kind of go by the wayside that's like when you start to see him really fall back on blues and folk blues idioms form. yeah he's not, he's not writing melodic songs anymore yeah he's, he's not writing, writing a song like tight connection to my heart for exactly. you could say that he falls back on blues or he, or you could say that he goes well you know what at the end of the day thank god for the blues yeah i mean and again like look i'm not i love time out of mind i love love and theft i love you know i love a lot of his other albums but like you feel like there's a melodic sense that he had in the eighties that I think is a little underappreciated. Right. So start starting, as we said before, with, uh, this 1978 starting probably absolutely. with, with, uh, with street legal. That's like a resurgence of the melodic Dylan of something like positively fourth street or, right. uh, yeah, something like baby and, stop crying is such a perfect, just like just a perfect pop song or yeah. changing of the guards. I mean, it's like so melodically, um, ambitious it's really got like its own character and where it, there's nothing really on that record save for perhaps new pony that really goes for like oh yeah a, new pony a blues oh let's talk about new yeah. oh, we're gonna talk about new pony are, are, are you gonna give me the business for disliking yeah. new pony oh come on man you gotta love new pony <laughs> i've come new- around on new pony it's 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 uh, Horny Bob talking yeah. about, uh, you know. It's it's not just three. Horny Bob. This is deeply erotic Bob. This right. is Bob talking about, uh, this is Equus Bob. Yeah. This, is Bob this is like recent divorcee Bob with a... entering the singles bar scene of the late oh, 70s. It's so and good. then freaking You're... everybody out by comparing them to a beautiful but man. Maybe, horse with but a big was, long mane. But he was like proto-urban uh, cowboy type situation. It was like, you know, talking about riding people like like a horse can and we it, can we talk about straight a's in love a song that i think has something to do <laughs> with the, the subject there it's the other side of the coin of um of uh ugliest girl in the world and that this is like the stupidest girl in the world yeah it's a song about how uh, uh he loves someone who's very stupid but that doesn't matter because she's a total smoke show <laughs> There's, there's literally a lyric where he's like, you don't know how to read. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's another one that's like, you think England's in France. <laughs> yeah. You think England's in Spain. In Spain, in yeah. Spain. Can oh I say, God. too, like, uh, Dark Eyes is a song. I, uh, I Well, that's the very end, practically. I, that's the last. If we want to just shoot to the end here, we can talk about I mean, Dark Eyes. Well, I was just going to say, it's a song I've always really liked, but it's another song that I don't know if he quite nailed it. 
ever like oh, in the studio. Come on. The original. Yeah. So hang on. The original because I I think that the, the cut here is good, but I don't think it really does much in terms of like oh, you know making me think perfect. much more about the song. I I, I really yeah. Sure. I think the original is is. I couldn't think. I think more the song about... itself is really good, but I just feel like the recording. He never quite nailed the recording of it. Huh. Oh, I don't know about that. You're missing. So what think, you're saying, Stephen, is that you, you, Dark Eyes would have been great if it sounded like the original version of When the Night Comes Falling from the Sky. But I that don't know guitar what it is. and that harmonica just doesn't do it. You need the synthesizers and the gated drums. No, and I don't claps. know if it needs to be a band version, but like I, there's something always about it that feels uh, like a demo to me. And oh, but that's what's beautiful reali- about it, Stephen. Right, and I get that, but like I just wonder if. I don't know. It just doesn't feel. It always feels like about eighty-five percent of like what oh. it should be to me. I don't know. To me, Dark Eyes is magical because it comes at the end of a record that is so maximalist. Uh, I'm gonna do the thing that um, I I do that I don't think anybody enjoys, but uh, I'm gonna say that it reminds me of a Scott Walker uh, record. Thank you. Where uh, they, they, the, Joker, everyone at home, there's there's your Joker and Bingo Square. Yeah, uh, Evan take a, Scott take Walker. A shot. So there's a Scott Walker record, his 80s record, Climate of Hunter, very like really intensely produced album, which is as close as uh, Scott Walker ever got to doing something like Empire Burlesque um, in terms of just the level of like 80s sounding production. But the closing track, interestingly, guitar by Mark Knopfler on that, um, is called Blanket Roll Blues. It's just a blues song. And it's a cover, and it is just guitar and the spare reverby voice of Scott Walker. And coming on the heels at the very end of this record that is so um, full of uh, production, it has a similar effect to Dark Eyes, where it it's like this kind of grounding uh, end to, to a record that um, has this really deep emotional resonance. And I think that Dark Eyes has that for me, where it's like suddenly you realize that it's like the the Dylan that was always there in a scenario that I'm really impressed that they ended with this. And I'm really glad they did on this whole collection ending with Dark Eyes, because I feel like that song is is like the the deepest, darkest soul of Dylan just popping out with zero uh, gilding of the lily. And he, you just hear him do this very simple song, and it's like you realize he was there the whole time, and uh, that's what makes it so beautiful to me. The fact that it's demo-like, I think, actually just brings that even further up, uh, uh, builds it up more for me. Yeah, I mean, look, I I love that song. I wouldn't want more instruments on it. I just don't know if the performance of it. I see what you're saying. I wonder if there's like a great live performance of Dark Guys. Maybe someone can show that. I don't that know out that he's on... done that. I don't know that he's ever played. Dark it doesn't Eyes seem live. like he's played it very often. Can we often. look at BobDylan.com? Yeah, uh, we haven't a... even done that once. Maybe this whole on time. the we'll Joker the... Man in the we'll Joker Man the Twitter community, when they hear this, they can be like, maybe he played it in, uh, you know. New Brunswick in nineteen ninety two. Okay, so there are eight plays. So we've got there's a single play nineteen eighty February twenty fifth nineteen eighty six Sydney Australia. Then he played it uh, seven times December tenth eleventh thirteenth fourteenth fifteenth sixteenth and seventeenth in nineteen ninety five, and that's it ever. Jesus, maybe on this next tour it'll be Dark Guys (sighs) tour twenty twenty one. Harry, uh, Harry Hugh, uh, if you're out there, please uh, hook us up with uh, with one of the, the whatever the best uh, live cut of Dark Eyes from 1995 is. Uh, we we trust you uh, to uh, to to bring the goods there. Uh, Evan, you asked a few minutes ago just like what we think of uh, this section of the record and what uh, what that says about Empire Burlesque. To me, if anything. I think it does sort of make the record seem a little more compromised than I initially thought of it as, because it, it does seem like the record where Bob just kind of starts to... Stephen, you talked about how, like, Infidels is really Bob's last super fertile, like, blast period of songwriting. Um, Empire Burlesque, and certainly as you go on into Knocked Out Loaded and um, Down in the Groove, start to really seem sort of like these records. They're just kind of like odds and ends records where he's just kind of like piecing together 
rewrites of songs that he had written previously and like trying to just package it together into something that can go to the the record plant and get into a sleeve and sh- get shipped to a store because you know i mean like the, your your best song on uh empire is tight connection which is a rewrite of someone's got a hold of my heart um clean cut kid obviously we know came from the infidel sessions as well um and danville girl doesn't see its light of day until um uh, knocked out loaded and that's the best song on that record death is not the end best song on uh down in the groove you know this this 85 to 88 period really does seem like if there is a going to be a like a quote-unquote fallow period for bob i think this is it in terms of the original material that he's putting out at that point because it just it things are just kind of like collecting up and up and over uh time and not really taking shape in some sort of cohesive statement the way that he was doing just a couple years earlier on shot of love and infidels yeah, I mean, I I like this disc, but I think it's like a little anticlimactic yeah, compared totally. to three and four, you know. Uh, and like, I mean, although again, New Danville Girls, you know, makes it an essential disc for all you CD fans out there. Um, <laughs> and you know, seeing seeing the real you at last, I like the version of that on here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll remember you is really nice on here. You know, there are yeah. a couple like nice, like very nice vocal takes, like pretty stripped down instrumentation, not too gussied up. Um, I, I do think the emotionally yours that's on here is really nice. Um, you know, um, I, I don't think the the tight connection alternate mix really does much to like. It just kind of sounds like a less complete version of the album song, like and not even an interesting way. It's just missing some of the synthesizers and stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do think that like they kind of just took this opportunity as like, this is probably the only time we're going to get an excuse to put the Empire Burlesque alternate material out. So we just got to tack it on to the end of this, you know, major set. I'm, I'm going to just contradict both of you and say that I, I feel by the end of listening to this, that I think uh, Empire Burlesque is actually a more sophisticated album than I initially thought it was. I think it's actually kind of like deeper, a little bit more interesting, a little bit more, uh, cool honestly i i think it's a, a a cool record that has maybe more going for it than i initially thought it did and maybe something that really put that across for me was like as simple as it is the version of emotionally yours we have on here is uh just really uh great and i'll remember you i mean th- there's a lot on here that i think is just like between those two songs and Dark Eyes, I think they kind of like, honestly, offset some of the more garish and goofy aspects of this record and show it to have uh, something of a real uh, beating heart. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I think this is the section of this set that like clearly is pitched towards the people who are like, oh, 80s Dylan is so cheesy. I hate that production. Like these, these are definitely like, like as simple and and bare bones and like kind of um, unadorned versions of these songs as you can possibly get. And so if that has been your hang up for this material all along, which obviously for the three of us, it hasn't. And presumably for anyone listening to this, it hasn't. Uh, But for those types of people like that's, I think that's what they're, what they're doing with this set. They're not kind of trying to. Uh, You have a um, kind of cynical take of this, that they're like, they're they're curating it so specifically to be like, well, we have to put a better version of emotionally. Or something. Well, no, I mean, I think we we talked about this a little on the another self portrait episode where that set was specifically designed to like change people's minds and kind of rewrite the narrative around the self portrait new morning era of Bob. I think that's what they're trying. Yeah. I think that's pretty clearly what they're trying to do with this set is again. But to they don't have the to narrative. try that hard apparently because there were versions of it that exist that just are like. Uh, that didn't have a extra bells and whistles that are just really, you know, it shows the song to be as good as it really is. Right. Yeah. Just no, kind of but, rely on the songwriting. I mean, I think that's a good point though, because empire burlesque is like a punchline still. And right. uh, yeah, still even down to the title and, and the cover. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, I, I think empire burlesque is like a pretty underrated record. I liked it before this box set. Yeah. I'm um, and, uh, but I hear you. I, I think there's versions on here that sound like a little less polished that put it maybe in a more positive light for people that think that the studio album as it exists uh, is, you know, maybe too 80 sounding, right. you know, which, right. uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think in the overall set, it's like not one of my favorite discs, but I, look, I still like it a lot. And yeah, it's great again, to have. 
yeah i mean this whole box set is great i mean i'm I'm so glad it exists and again I, i'm i hope that they continue down this road of highlighting lesser known pockets of of the dylan world rather than just as much as i like the 60s box set or base or uh basement tapes or like the blood on the track stuff you know i i'm more excited about box sets like this well, the, si- the 60s stuff as as has always been our project here it's like the 60s stuff is the work of a young man who is uh struck by a, a unrepeatable lightning of inspiration at the prime of his youth it's the kind of thing that happens to a few lucky people and an even fewer 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 lucky people who are in a position to do something about it signed to a major label at the time when they are most creatively fertile and have the means to put this stuff across and then i think the magic of this stuff is that it shows that even in his periods where that wasn't the case, where like that youthful uh, spark wasn't like there, he was still able to do stuff that was like better than most people could ever do. Um, Yeah. Who else in the world could you imagine having 16 volumes and counting of bootleg series material like this? And we're still cranking out 60 songs from just the mid 80s. Like how many more decades do we have to get to that haven't even seen the light of day at this point? Like even like the highest contemporaries of Bob's Neil Lou. Uh, McCartney, like you can't imagine any of them coming out with this volume of just consistently excellent and, you know, kind of um, uh, compelling material. Well, and that's why, like, whenever people talk about how, you know, you periodically hear like, well, actually, Bob Dylan isn't the best singer songwriter it's somebody else. It's right. Joni Mitchell. It's Leonard Cohen. It's uh, whoever you want to name. And I always want to say, well, what period are you talking about? Like, yeah, like maybe you want to say Joni Mitchell was better from at some like, point in like the early seventies, but uh, nobody has the breadth of Bob Dylan. Exactly. Yeah, and, you know, and, to, and to quote a um a, a really sweet and really well uh, written review that our podcast got just a section of it that uh, uh, really spoke to me <laughs> you're gonna read Somebody your reviews said, well it's not about you do us it. don't act like you don't look at your amazon reviews Stephen hyden never never I, have i'm reading i'm reading the review but it's 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 not a comment about us it's about bob it's uh somebody said um it's it's uh that our podcast is is celebrating a singular career of a man who has shown us that the best way to live is to never, ever, ever stop trying. I think that that's really what this uh, whole collection shows. And um, I think that's like the takeaway that I think we all can agree on from this is that he never, ever, ever stops trying. And he's always uh, able to do something because of that. Um, Something great always comes because he never just gives up he has shot for the moon and uh, reached the stars in the parlance <laughs> of the Apple Music write-up. Yeah, that was a terrible uh, Apple Music. Uh, some some hack writer, some intern like. put together. That uh, seems like a good good note to end on. Exactly. Right yeah. Any uh, any last uh, hot takes to dish out before we wrap? Now that we've officially crossed the three hour mark. I, again, I hope that the next uh, bootleg series is a never-ending tour box set that, that would be my wish the rumor um, is that it's going to be a 25th anniversary time out of mindset time out of well yeah. that'd be great too but i i really hope that bob or jeff rosen eventually starts doing dicks picks for bob uh where, yeah. where we can get i mean i mean i think they should start with a never-ending tour box set but then uh after that just start periodically putting out live sets because uh that's where the real magic is, really. Yeah. That's where and, most of his stuff is. And, uh, yeah, there's just so much there. And, uh, you know, as much as I love hearing studio outtakes, because Bob does play live in the studio, so, like, it, he's definitely exploring in the studio. I, I would love to dive deeper 
into his live stuff uh and you can get voluminous uh bootlegs out there but to get some sbds of uh live bob (laughs) i'd be into that it's my i hope that uh while i agree with you i hope that doesn't happen for a long time because i think they're putting that off until the inevitable occurs uh i hope that they keep putting out shit from his uh recorded uh well, it doesn't have to be either or. Career. You can do both. You can do just, both. Do, you could start. Put, yeah, they, there's nothing and, stopping them. And do Bob picks or do Jeff picks. Jeff's picks. Do Jeff's, Jeff's picks. picks. <laughs> uh, in addition, I mean, because look, we will buy all this crap. And Absolutely. We, you know, we, we we will buy anything. So, uh, you know, put out the box sets and put out Jeff's picks. The miracle it would be for us if there was like just officially released like never ending tour stuff where we could put together playlists of that material like on uh, the the popular streaming services. That would be wonderful. We would never leave our little caves. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Stephen. Uh, this uh, once again always a pleasure has been uh, absolutely way insane. Uh, any uh, plugs for anyone uh, out there listening? 36 from the vault. I'll plug you. It's a great, it's my favorite podcast. Honestly, part of the reason I even decided to do this was I was holed up uh, listening to a lot of 36 from the vault. And I thought, what could I possibly say about anything? And I thought, oh, I like Bob Dylan. And I I thought, well, I'll do that. And now I'm jealous of you guys because you did the Dylan podcast. Well, don't act. You don't have to be jealous. Do. Don't act you're like the... you can't do this whole thing way better than we yeah. well, did for the last I just, year. I, hey, I'm just happy to be in the Jokerman uh, universe. Extended you're a Jokerman, Stephen. Come if on. I, if I may be so bold uh, as to say that I'm part of the Jokerman universe, I'll say universe. you're you're we on some. This is one of the most important uh, episodes. You're always like given the most. You're letting it all on the floor. You're leaving it all on the stage when you come on this show. True. Well, yeah, it's like uh, it's like a, a show that Bruce plays. You know, he just every night gets out there and does three hours. You just every time yeah, you come on here, you get up here and you do three hours with us. It's great. I, I'm like if Bruce came out with 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 Clarence and we just talked about Bob Dylan for three hours. Right. We're not we're not gonna play any songs. We're just gonna talk about Bob Dylan for three Which, hours. Honestly, and, and, Bruce and, and, and talking MSG. for Bob. Bruce talking Bob for three hours sounds fucking amazing. And I'm I sure know exactly, exactly. You, should, you gotta get him on your show. Yeah, you get Bruce on here. Someone's gotta put us in touch. Yeah, he's with too them. he's too busy hanging out with a former president. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. he's podcasting with someone else. Uh, okay. It'd be way more interesting if you were on this show, though. No one likes that Barack Obama. No, show. the worst thing is that <laughs> it, it, Barack yeah. Obama has rubbed off on Bruce. And that's I know. What sucks. It's so boring. It's yeah. it's it, it's like I love Bruce. I have no interest in hearing that show. But if he was on your show, I'd want to hear that. We so. we can fix him. <laughs> <laughs> uh Stephen Hyden, thank you again. Thanks, uh, fellas. I'm sure we'll have you back before too long, but for uh, for we'll do a four-hour episode next time. Sounds yeah. We I, this is shorter than I thought. And we got we'll do, we'll, we'll do four hours on Neighborhood Billy next time. Oh God, <laughs> some sicko out there wants it. Jokerman. The neighborhood Billy is just one.